Welcome to Hacker Public Radio. The following presentation is a syndication of the QSK podcast used with kind permission of Russ Woodman. We are using this episode today because we do not have enough shows of our own. Please consider recording a show today. Email admin at hackerpublicradio.org for more information. Broadcast Network. This podcast is a proud member of the Fusion Podcast Network. Find us at fusionpodcastnetwork.com. to the QSK Netcast. My name is Russ, also known as K5TUX on the IRC and on the intertubes and on those various social networks around the internet that keep people entertained these days. I want to thank everybody for tuning in once again, for listening to the QSK Netcast, for being a part of my small community here. I hope to grow it a little bit as time goes on. I apologize for the little bit of a break I've had in episodes. I had things going along quite nicely, putting things out one one episode per week. And then the Ohio Linux Fest happened, and I kind of put things on the back burner a little bit. But I am back. I'm going to try and get things out in a once-per-week schedule again. We'll see how that goes. As it turns out, for the next month or so, I'm going to be working from home, doing the whole telecommute thing. So I'm going to be recording my podcasts, this one here, and Linux in the Ham Shack using a completely different setup and a completely different network. I hope that works out for me, but we'll see. I know my bandwidth is not as good there, and the sound equipment I have is not as good as I have here in my other studio. But considering the quality of some of the podcasts I listen to, I don't really think that's going to be a problem, and I won't mention any names. I don't want anybody to get upset with me, at least not yet. By the end of this episode, things may change. We'll see how that goes, too. Speaking of the Ohio Linux Fest, I just want to mention that I had a really great time out there in Columbus last weekend. 
Everything went well. The booth went great. My talk went great. I can't wait for the recording of that to come out so I can actually post it someplace, and I'm sure it'll be up at the OhioLinux.org website so everyone can download it. I did manage to garner about 30 or 35 people in my talk, which was actually pretty good considering it wasn't considering it wasn't indicated in the program guide. So I'm not sure if people actually came to see me or if they came to see what talk was in the program guide and they thought that's what they were going to get. No one actually walked out of the talk that I could see. I think one person may have. But everybody else, regardless of the reason they showed up, actually stayed, and for that I'm grateful. And I've also been asked by one of the Red Hat community members to turn my talk into a blog post so they can put it up on a Red Hat-sponsored website. And as soon as that happens, I will let everyone know where it is. I also really want to thank the Linux Link Tech Show guys. They talked about me, and I talked with them at the Ohio Linux Fest. And on their semi-quasi-reintroduction episode 366 of the podcast, the Linux Link Tech Show, and I really appreciate them for doing that. They're a good bunch of guys, and I and I really appreciate that, and it's nice to hang out with them. Despite the way they come across on the podcast, they are uh, really, really swell folks, really groovy hipsters. It's always good to hang out with them at whatever show we happen to be together at. Joel actually brought me up again on uh, episode 367. Uh, I think everybody else who was doing the podcast was uh, pretty much non-plus. Thanks, Joel, for, for bringing up both of my podcasts yet again, and uh, I hope everybody continues to listen, which I've already said uh, three times, I think. I'd also like to thank Klaatu for being the person he is, the, the good little alien boy that he is, or the alien man. I'm not sure how it works in alien years. It was good to see you again at Ohio Linux Fest and uh, talk to you and just generally hang out and all that good stuff. And uh, thanks for taking gracefully all the ribbing from, from Dan Washko, who uh, thinks that I somehow was was gunning for Klaatu in Episode 2 of the QSK Netcast. And I really wasn't. I wasn't trying to pick on you, Klaatu. I, I really was not. Um, and if it came across that way, I do apologize. And one last bit of business before I get on to the meat of the program, and that's I would like everybody to go to the magnetcon.info website and check out the Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference, which is a conference that I and others are trying to get started. It's scheduled for May 6th and 7th at the St. Louis Union Station Marriott in St. Louis, Missouri. So uh, check out the website. We need volunteers, speakers, sponsors, the whole works. So if you can help out in any way, send me an email. Go to the website. All the information is there. And help us make a great, great show in the spring of 2011. The topic of the discussion tonight on the QSK Netcast is the top 10 things that piss me off about other people who drive. I spend a lot of time on the road these days. I have a pretty hefty commute back and forth twice a week from one house to another so that I can work and do my job. And aside from that, I spend a lot of time on the road going to various conferences, various ham fests, other events. I sponsor and otherwise promote uh, local metal bands and do a lot of things that 
require me to be on the road. So I see a lot of things that happen on the road, and I see a lot of the way other people drive. And all you have to do is look at the news, if you don't drive a lot, to see all of the stuff that gets reported on how other people drive. There have been some hot-button issues that have come up lately, including things like texting while driving. And if you've seen any of the advertisements that talk about not doing that, they are really, really gruesome, some of them. There's one, in fact, most of the ones I've seen, in fact, have dealt with showing uh, fatal or near-fatal car crashes, which to me is a good thing, because I've seen how people react when they're on the cell phone and when they text. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because I have a top 10 list, just like Dave Letterman on the, the Late Show over at CBS, which I don't really have time to watch anymore, but I'm going to run down in order the top 10 things that piss me off about the way other people drive. And there's a couple of curveballs in this list, and you'll know what they are when we get to them. The number 10 thing that pisses me off about other people's driving is what I call pimping your pinto. I'm sure you've all seen this. This is when your friends and neighbors, your 16-year-old and 17-year-old punk kids, who have the crappiest beater you've ever seen, and they spend all of the money they make when they're working at McDonald's to put the 22-inch rims, the killer stereo, and the exhaust system that makes their car sound like a hamster pushing a lawnmower, and this somehow makes their Pinto, their 73 Pinto, with the exploding fuel tank, way cooler than it really is. And I say that all sarcasm intended. <clears throat> now, I understand that there was an episode of the Mythbusters not that long ago where they proved that you can polish a turd. However, this does not apply to a 73 Pinto, nor does it apply to a 1979 Ford LTD or any other piece of shit that you can think of. You cannot put 22-inch rims on it, black out the windows, put a stereo that does nothing than actually shake all of the rust off the bottom of the car, still sounds like crap, and then that exhaust system that I mentioned. If we could somehow abolish all of that, I would be very, very happy. And this, this does not apply to cars that actually start off as something pretty decent. Like, if you want to pimp a Mustang, you know, go for it. If, if you start with something good, you can always make it better. If you start with something that's a piece of crap, it's going to wind up looking like a piece of crap, I guarantee it. And by the way, if you don't have enough money to get your car painted, don't frickin' prime it. Nothing I hate more than 22-inch high-gloss chrome wheels on a car that is flat black primer. You know, it's if you're going to do it, do it right. Okay, so number 10 wasn't really about driving, but it was about cars, so that's close enough. Number 9, on the other hand, is about driving. It's about on-ramps. Now, on-ramps are a necessary evil, and I don't have a problem with on-ramps. You obviously have to get onto your high-speed roadways somehow. The problem I have with on-ramps is the fact that if you're merging onto a two-lane road, that is two lanes going in the same direction, and if you're on that high-speed road in the right-hand lane, move your ass over. Now, I know there are some times when you can't move over. If there happens to be somebody in the left lane right next to you, there's not really much you can do. And I don't necessarily want somebody to slam on their brakes if they're going 70 miles an hour to let somebody on. But, you know, if you're all alone in the right-hand lane and somebody's trying to merge on from an on-ramp, then move your ass over into the left lane. It seems to me that when I was learning to drive, 
you know, back in high school when I was 15 turning 16, they had books that they gave you. They had driver's education that was pretty much mandatory for you to take. There were rules involved. You had to pass tests, eye exams, and a road test. It doesn't seem like that kind of thing goes on anymore. Because as time goes on, it seems like everybody just drives worse and worse and worse. And in my case, I live in a fairly sparsely populated area, so bad driving shows up pretty explosively. Now, I know if you're in some place like Miami where everybody drives badly, this is just par for the course. But it's bad enough out there already. Let's try and go back to the way it used to be when everybody understood how to drive, took those tests, and actually practice what was in the books. So from number nine, we go on to number eight. This one's about truckers. It's not necessarily the trucker's fault in some cases. Sometimes it's state law that's at fault in, this, in what I'm about to say. But the thing that pisses me off, number eight, are left lane laws. I think left lane laws are fantastic. Now, if you're on a highway that's four lane, in other words, two lanes going in each direction, it's kind of hard to have a left lane law. You have to allow trucks to pass. Now, I get that, but in some places where there are more than two lanes in each direction, there are no left lane laws, which means the trucks over 26,000 pounds can be in any lane going at, you know, what is usually their maximum speed, a la 55 or 60 miles an hour, in what, you know, most people consider the fast lane. This is what I would consider a nightmare. Now, some states deal with this by having left lane laws. In other words, no trucks over 26,000 pounds can be in anything other than the rightmost two lanes. And that is, to me, a good thing. And I wish every state and every jurisdiction that has a problem with this kind of thing, in other words, roads with more than two lanes in one direction, would keep trucks to those right two lanes. Now, I know truckers are going to disagree with me on this, but I really don't care. You have two lanes, your trucks move slow because they're bulky, they're big, and they're carrying heavy loads. You don't need to be in the damn fast lane. So keep your trucks in the right two lanes, even if the law says you can move over to the left two lanes or the left one lane, whatever it is. You don't need to be over there. Okay, number seven on the list isn't a driving thing at all. It's actually two states two states of the United States, both of which piss me off to no end for two completely different reasons. The first of those states, and well, let me preface this by saying that I haven't driven in every state of the United States, but of all the ones I've driven in, these are the two that annoy me the most because they have laws that are pretty ridiculous. I think they're pretty ridiculous. And in one case, they're just plain ridiculous laws notwithstanding. The first state that pisses me off is Texas. If anyone's ever driven in Texas, you know things down there are a little bit weird. But the specific situation that I don't understand is a lot of highways in Texas have on and off ramps that cross outer road traffic. Now, if you haven't seen this, it may be a little hard to describe, but can think about it like this. You have two lanes of high-speed roadway, 70 miles an hour, give or take, going in both directions. Then you have an off-ramp and an on-ramp, just like in any other state. However, in Texas, many of these on- and off-ramps actually cross or merge onto 
other roads that parallel the highway. So what does that mean for the person who's getting on or off the highway? In the case of exiting the highway, you have to merge with other traffic going at a slower rate because you're merging onto a parallel roadway. And in the case of getting on the high-speed roadway, you actually have to cross oncoming traffic to get on the on-ramp. Who the hell thought this was a good idea? I don't know who it was, but 80% of the roadways that I've seen in Texas have this problem. And as far as I can tell, there's no way to deal with it because you'd have to pretty much reroute every, you know, 80% of every road in Texas. You know, that's not going to happen. But if you have to deal with this, I would, I would just say make sure you take those on-ramps with extreme caution because in almost no other place that I'm aware of do you have to worry about hitting another vehicle while you're trying to merge onto a highway. The other problem with Texas is speed limits. They haven't figured out how to set one because if you go into Texas, the first thing you notice is that they have day speeds and night speeds, and those speeds change. First of all, that means you have to know what the difference between day and night is, and everybody's definition of day and night is different, of course. And then they make trucks and vehicles towing trailers drive at a different speed as well. So, and I'm going to take this kind of paraphrasing from a Ron White routine, but the idea in Texas is that you can drive 70 miles an hour unless you're driving a truck or a trailer, in which case you can drive 65 miles an hour, unless it's at night, which means you have to drive 60 miles an hour, I'm sorry, 65 miles an hour if you're a car, or 55 miles an hour if you're a truck. Now, it doesn't take too much effort to figure out that driving at different speeds on the same roadway is a bit hazardous. And in a lot of places, you may have noticed that high-speed roadways Places that have 65 and 70 mile an hour speed limits also have minimum speed limits because I think it's actually more dangerous to drive slowly on a high-speed roadway than it is to drive fast. I mean, it's easy enough to deal with the car that buzzes by you going 90 miles an hour, but if you're going 80 miles an hour and you come up on somebody going 30 miles an hour, it's hard to see that, and it's really easy to cause disaster. So having multiple speed limits on the same roadway like they do in Texas, just asinine, simply asinine. But what can you say? The other state that I have a problem with is Illinois. And the biggest issue I have with Illinois is that as far as driving across the landscape of Illinois, it is one of the most god-awful boring places in the entire United States. It's flat, it's empty, and there's nothing but barns, silos, and cows as far as you can see when you're driving through Illinois. The only place this doesn't happen is in places like East St. Louis, which might as well be in Missouri. Then there's Springfield, Illinois, the capital, and there's, you know, a little bit of something there. And then there's Chicago. You know, there's lots of stuff up there in Chicago. But in between those things, there's not a damn thing. So what does Illinois do to make driving pleasant through these empty spaces in their state? They set the speed limit 5 to 10 miles an hour lower than anywhere else in the country and then put state troopers every 15 miles to make sure that you can't, under any circumstances, exceed the speed limit lest you get an exorbitant ticket so you can pay all the corrupt politicians up in Chicago. 
I'm not going to beat this horse to death, but I'll just say, if you ever have to drive through Illinois, particularly north to south, be prepared. I think it's only about 200 miles wide going east to west across I-70 or I-80, in which case you're probably okay. But if you have to drive it the long way, all I can say is, may somebody have mercy on your soul. Okay, number six, and this is to call back to something I just mentioned, and that's slow driving. And I'm talking about slow driving on fast roadways. There's nothing more dangerous, as far as I can tell, than driving 40 or 30 miles an hour on a 70 mile an hour interstate, or a 75 mile an hour interstate, or actually in some places in West Texas, the speed limit is actually 80 miles per hour. Now, I know they've posted minimum speed limits in most of these places, but some people still don't know how to keep it above 40 miles an hour. If you've ever come up on somebody who's going 40 miles an hour while you're doing 75, you know how fast that happens, and it takes about a half a second to miss it, and then you've got a huge wreck on your hands. So if you're driving on a high-speed roadway and you don't know how to depress the accelerator to get your car to move faster than 40 miles an hour, stay the fuck home. Thank you very much. Okay, number five on the list, cell phones. I don't know what it is about people, but everybody thinks they can drive and talk on a cell phone at the same time. Well, guess what, people? You can't. I'm a perfect example of this. I, at first, thought I could do it. I could deal with holding a cell phone up to my ear, having a conversation, and driving down the road, whether it's a high-speed road or a country road or whatever, but you can't. Trust me, you cannot do it. You may think you can, but you can't. Because no matter how hard you try, when you're talking on the phone, all of your attention switches to the phone call, not to driving. You may not sense that you're driving like an asshole, but you are. Some people have better luck with hands-free units, when you don't actually have to hold the phone up to your ear and you can have a conversation while staring out the windshield and actually paying some attention to the roadway, this works pretty well. But for some people, even having hands-free doesn't work at all. They drive erratically, they shift lanes, drift to the left to the right, speed up and slow down, do all kinds of bizarre things that they don't even realize they're doing because all of their attention is focused on the phone call. So all I would say is, please know your limits, if you can't drive with a cell phone, don't use your cell phone. It's not worth killing somebody because you had to find out that you needed bread and milk to bring home. Pull over somewhere, grab your cell phone then, make the call. A minute or two here and there isn't going to, you know, isn't going to hurt you, I guarantee it. Enough said. And by the way, I'm standing on my soapbox for this whole episode. I'll get off at the end, but for right now, I am definitely going to rant and rave. Number four on my top 10 list is speed control. I think about 95% of all vehicles that are produced today have cruise control. Now, don't be like the idiot that everybody's heard about in that myth where the guy was driving an RV, thought cruise control meant it controlled steering as well as speed, went to make his sandwich and caused a wreck. You know, obviously, there's only a small percentage of the human population that's really that stupid. But if you have cruise control and you're on a highway, use it. First of all, it's more comfortable. It's less work for your legs and for your feet to, you know, use cruise control. You don't have to manipulate the pedals. You can set the speed where you think it's comfortable for you. 
make sure that's above 40 miles an hour. And when you drive at a steady pace, it makes driving easier for everybody else. If you're slowing down and speeding up, as most people are doing, and I don't understand why, because I, I've seen people come up on me, you know, that it's like they've got to pass, like they've got to get by, you know, their ass is on fire or whatever the hell the problem is. And then they get up to me and they realize, oh my God, I'm going past somebody and I'm doing 74 and a half miles an hour. I better slow down. So they slow down. To me, nothing is more aggravating than somebody who slows up by a couple of miles an hour, then speeds up by a couple of miles an hour. And when you're on cruise control, you can see how erratic people are. You know, they'll drift up past you a little bit, then they'll slow down, then they'll pass you again, they'll they'll get in front of you, you know, then they'll slow down a little bit, and you'll have to go out around them and get back in the other lane, and then they'll pass you again a little bit further on because they sped up. Just use your cruise control, people. It's not that hard. It's easier to drive that way. It's one less thing to focus on. And unless the conditions are bad and you're driving on a sheet of ice, there's no real reason why you shouldn't use cruise control. And I guarantee you that 90% of the cars out there have it, unless you've got that hamster pushing a lawnmower sounding 73 Pinto, in which case you should probably stay home anyway. And here we go. We're now into the top three. The top three things I hate about driving. And not my driving. I'm not saying that my driving is perfect because it's not, but I'm saying my driving is a whole lot better than most of the other people I've seen out there. So here's number three. Number three is the age of drivers. And this one's probably going to piss off the most people if anyone's actually listening to this, but that's okay. I, I really don't care. I got my license at 16. I was actually 15 when I took driver's education. I was just turned 16 about a month when I got my driver's license, and my parents were stupid enough to give me the, a set of keys to their car and told me that I was responsible and I could go drive. That was one of the dumbest things I could ever do. Because was I ready to drive at the age of 16? No, not even close. Did I know it then? Of course not. I was young and invincible. Do I know it now? Oh yeah, I know it now. I was a horrible driver when I was 16. I was a horrible driver at 17. I was a horrible driver pretty much at 18. A little bit after that, I got to be a pretty good driver. Is everybody else who's under 18 a horrible driver? Yes, they sure are. I don't care how good you think you are, you're a crappy driver if you're 18 or under. You don't have the experience, you don't have anything you need to know how to drive. You have some book learning, you have some practical road experience, that's all you have. At 18, you really don't know how to drive. At 16, you definitely don't know how to drive. You can get from place to place, but the insurance companies know that statistically, you're about a thousand million hundred billion percent more at risk than a driver who's much older and who's had more experience. Do you have to start somewhere? Sure you do. You know, you have to get your license at some point. You have to get your experience. And this is coming from a person who was happy to get his license at 16 and now knows he never should have been allowed to have it. So my recommendation would be that the driving age be bumped up. A lot of people would say that 18 is a good driving age. You know, 16 is definitely too young. 18 is probably good. Me, I don't think 18 is good enough. I know that society won't let this happen because too many people are dependent on driving now. But 18 to me is too young to be alone driving a vehicle. 
I would say that 20 or 21, with a good four to five years of practical experience, with someone else in the vehicle at all times, would be a good driving age. At that point, you minimize risk, you have good experience, you know how things work. Is the driving age ever going to be 21? No, it sure as hell isn't. But I think it should be. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's just going to stay at 16. I know in some places it may be 18 now, but I think for a large part of the country, 16 is still the age at which you can get a license and pretty much do anything in a vehicle you want at that age, and it's just too damn young. It doesn't look too young when you're 16, 18, or 20, but when you get to meet my age and you see how many people 16, 17, and 18, older teenagers and people in their early 20s who are killed due to careless, reckless, and just plain inattentive driving, it's not hard to see that 16 is just too young. But it also goes in the other direction, people who are too damn old. And I'm saying this as a person who drives all the time and is going to be too damn old to drive at some point. And all I can say is I'm going to fight it tooth and nail, but I sure hope somebody strips my license from me when I can't drive anymore. The fact that 80-year-old and 85-year-old and 90-year-old people can go into the DMV, pass an eye test, and continue to get their license with no practical driving exam is absolutely ridiculous. The other day, I saw a woman drive down an outer road at 20 miles an hour, make one turn, go down a parallel or a perpendicular road on the wrong side of the road for about a quarter of a mile before turning into a bank and then stopping because she couldn't see which lane to pull into to make her deposit or whatever she went to the bank for. This kind of thing should be stopped before it's ever allowed to happen. I'm not sure what the age should be, but I would say somewhere around the age of, say, 50 or 55, you should be required every year or a couple of years to take a road, a road test again. And if you can't pass that road test, you have to give up your license. And I, I know these, these are hard things to do because our society requires driving in order to do things that, you know, that are necessary for day-to-day -day life. But with so many vehicles on the road and so many people driving them, it's just getting too damn dangerous for the young, the very young and the very old to be on the road. And I know I was too young at one point, and I know I'm going to be too old at one point. I may resist the idea of my own thoughts right now, but I hope somebody else can take care of that for me and tell me when I can't pass that test when I'm 75 that I don't need to be driving because one of these days I'm going to do something like drive 35 miles an hour on the interstate or cross that lane in Texas without paying attention or make a turn going the wrong way on a one-way street and somebody's going to get killed. It may be me, it may not be me, but in either case it's not going to be a good situation. And I hope somebody, if it's not me, will make sure that that doesn't happen. Okay, number two on the list is an interesting one because I had to do some research on it. The issue is two-way stops. We're talking about a four-way intersection where two directions, say east and west, don't have a stop sign and cross-traffic continues you know, unabated, and the north-south intersection both have stop signs. And you may say, well, what's so interesting about that? Well, to me, what's interesting about that is when two people come to the stop signs going north and going south, 
you know, what's the deal with right-of-way? First of all, most people talk about right-of-way in the sense of, you know, who has the right-of-way. And if you look at any text manual about driving in any state of the union, they never talk about right-of-way. They talk about yielding right-of-way. In other words, no one has the right-of-way. The idea is that someone has to give up the right-of-way so that something else can happen. So no one is given explicit right-of-way when it comes to traffic law. So the interesting thing is, okay, this is the situation that annoys me the most. If the cross-traffic is continuing on and somebody pulls in from the south and stops at the stop sign and they're going straight ahead, somebody then immediately pulls up to the stop sign across the street coming from the north and they're turning left. The question is, who has or who must yield the right-of-way? And I did quite a bit of research on the internet about this issue and the fact of the matter is, you ask 100 people and you're going to get a 50-50 split in answers. The best indicators that I could find address yielding right-of-way when you come to a four-way intersection regardless of stop signs. Or if you have a four-way stop or a two-way stop, it comes out the same. So the idea is this. If you have the east and west road where there's no stopping and there's a north-south where there's a stop sign on each side, if someone comes up to the south and is going straight, and someone comes up from the north and is going left, whoever gets to the intersection last has to yield the right-of-way to the other person. So if the person going straight gets there first, they go straight, then the person, when it's clear, can turn left. If the person who's turning left gets there first, then they turn left first, and the person going straight goes second. So then the question is, what happens if the two cars coming to the north and south get there at the same time. Well, this is what happens in a four-way stop, a two-way stop, or if there's no stop involved. Basically, what has to happen is the person turning left has to yield the right-of-way to the person who's going straight. On the north and south sides of this intersection, if the person turning left and the person going straight or turning right get there at the same time, the person turning left has to yield the right-of-way to the person going straight or a person going to the right. Sounds pretty simple. You know, if you get there first, you go first. You know, first in, first out. If you get there at the same time, the person who's turning left must yield the right-of-way. But you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, how many times this law is not obeyed. I have been almost hit by so many people who don't know how to deal with this two-way stop right-of-way situation that is totally ridiculous. And part of the problem is it's not in instruction manuals. It's not in driver training. They give you some basic education on it, but it takes all of about six days to forget everything you ever learned in driver's education. So I think a point needs to be made to address things like four-way stop signs and two-way stop signs to get people not to run into and kill each other. There's another problem with left-hand turns, and that's people who are making left-hand turns in front of oncoming traffic. This is uh, particularly dangerous in the case of motorcycles, but it's also bad in the case of just about anything. If you're making a left-hand turn, 90% of the time you're going to be crossing the right-of-way of oncoming traffic. So all I can say is if you're making a left-hand turn, 
be careful about doing it. It's just unbelievable to me how bad this, this kind of thing has gotten. I saw news footage on the news not that long ago where a person in a, on a scooter was coming across an intersection, traveling straight ahead, and a guy who happened to be fairly old, probably in his late 60s, turned left, crossing his right-of-way, and didn't manage to kill the guy, but he hurt him pretty good. You know, that addresses two of my problems. First of all, you need to yield that left-hand right-of-way if you're turning left. And the other thing is, if you're 65 or 70 years old and don't know how to yield a right-of-way, and obviously don't know how to pay attention, you shouldn't be on the road. So that brings me to the number one problem I have with driving in the, in the 21st century. And that number one problem is turn signals, or the complete lack thereof. It is amazing to me that everybody's left arm is broken these days. There is not one person in a hundred that regularly uses a turn signal anymore. All of the manuals that I've looked up have said that if you're going to change direction on any roadway, doing anything, or making a lane change, or any direction change of any kind, you're required to signal, whether it be with a hand signal or with a turn signal. I don't understand why everybody apparently has their left arm in a cast or is just too completely fucking lazy to turn on their turn signals. And like I said, I don't believe there's one person in a hundred, not counting myself, that regularly uses a turn signal for anything. That lady that I talked about earlier who drove down the two-way road on the wrong side to get to the bank for a quarter mile, when making the right-hand turn onto that road, she didn't use a turn signal, and when making the left turn into the bank parking lot, she didn't use a turn signal either. I've seen people merge onto highways and not use a turn signal. I've seen people make left-hand turns at a stoplight not using a turn signal. I don't understand at what point they all decided that everyone should assume that they are making whatever maneuver they're making and turn signals have become irrelevant. At this point, if it were up to me, I would make it a mandatory $1,000 fine if you were caught doing something that required a turn signal and you didn't use it. Because in how many ways can you cause a traffic accident by not using a turn signal? I don't even want to begin to enumerate that list right now because we would be here for a day and a half. All I can say, people, is use your damn turn signals. If you think you need to use your turn signal, even if you don't think you need to use your turn signal, if you're coming up to a sharp turn in the road, use your turn signal. You can't use your turn signal enough. Don't be the person who, again, is 80 years old and shouldn't be on the road anyway and who is turning perpetually to the right no matter what way they're going. You know, don't be that guy, but don't be the person with the broken left arm either. It's not that hard to use a turn signal. It takes no time away from your day. You know, use it. They're there. There's no reason why you can't. You know, I don't care if you're 40 miles out into a desert road and there isn't anybody within a 100-mile radius of your car. If you're going to make a left turn onto a dirt road in the middle of Arizona at 3 in the morning, use your fucking turn signal. Okay? Simple as that. So, thanks everybody for tuning in. This has been the QSK Netcast number 5. I do appreciate everybody tuning in. 
Sorry again for the rant cast if this is not your cup of tea, but I hope everybody got a little something out of this episode. And feel free to send me feedback at russ at qskcast.info, and I'll be happy to respond to anything you send me. I would love to get some feedback on the episodes. The folks that I've talked to in IRC say things are going well and they're enjoying what I've been putting out. And I do appreciate everybody who listens. And if you would, please tell a few friends about the show. I'd love to get out there a little bit more. I want to thank the Black Sparrow Media Podcast Network and the Fusion Podcast Network for uh, allowing me to join their little networks and get my show out to more people. I think the aggregation of feeds is uh, really helping a lot of people out. You should go to those sites, blacksparrowmedia.net and fusionpodcastnetwork.com stroke WordPress, and that's with a Z, and check out some of the other shows that exist. And also check out augcastplanet.org. There's a lot of og-only content, a lot of free content out there, a lot of really good content, and I'm also a member of that network as well. So check them all out, listen to every show, tell them about the QSK Netcast, and I hope to have everybody tune in next time. Thanks again for listening, folks. Talk to you soon. by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.